The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and the NFL Combine is in the books for 2020. And Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks, as well as Seahawk Maven, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, was there on the ground talking to players and hearing from John Schneider and Pete Carroll. And he's here joining us to talk about the week at the NFL Combine. Corbin, you were there, sat through the press conferences, talked to some of the players. What was your biggest takeaway from this week at the Combine? The overall talent of this year's draft class, I'm going to be honest, going into when I started looking at players and trying to watch film and stuff, you know, being a full time reporter now, I don't have near as much time during the actual season to watch a lot of these college teams. I'm busy doing stuff covering the Seahawks. But in January, once the season's over with, I start digging through the film and I thought this was a good class, but I am I'm blown away by the depth at some of these positions. This is the best tackle group in terms of talent and depth that I have seen in the seven or eight years that I've been covering the draft extensively. The receiver position is ridiculously deep. Uh, the corner group is looking better than I anticipated. It's, it's really a really solid draft. I thought after last year compared to this group, I thought it will be a good draft, but there are several positions of need for the Seahawks that in particular are really strong and have a lot of depth in this particular class. So based on on what you've kind of come away with there and based on what the Seahawks biggest needs are in terms of and and it's going to be changing depending on how free agency goes. But based on those two things, what position group is kind of narrowing your focus as to where to where the Seahawks might look most? Well, obviously, fans are going to want the Seahawks to get pass rushers. That is the biggest need. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll drummed up to that when they were speaking with reporters on Tuesday. They both outlined the pass rush being a huge area of need for them. The problem they're going to have is, as much as I like this draft class, I don't think it's a bad edge rushing group, but last year's group was historically good. You had 11 or 12 players that were defensive linemen go off the board in the first round. This year's class is kind of top heavy. There's three or four edge rushers that I really like. And then after that, there's some other players that have some talent, but there is a big drop off in this group. And so that complicates things for the Seahawks. If they go into this draft desperately needing defensive line help, if Clowney and Reed both leave, for example, and they weren't able to get any other marquee free agents this next month, they could be in a world of hurt because if a player like Yitor Gross Matos out of Penn State is not available or Caleb on Chason out of LSU, if those guys don't fall to 27 so the Seahawks can get them, there are some other capable edge rushers, but there's a huge drop off in terms of talent and overall all around game. And so that may complicate things for them. And then they'll have to turn and look at the offensive line. At the same time, as I mentioned a moment ago, this group is so loaded at tackle. There are some guys that had really impressive combine performances. Like, for example, Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. That might be a player a lot of fans don't know about, but 
He really bolstered his stock this weekend uh, with how he performed, and he's probably in the second or third tier in offensive linemen, and, and I'm hearing second, third round buzz potentially for that particular player. So maybe that's a position that you don't want to pick that early because there is so much depth at that spot. And then, of course, you know, I'm going to throw this out there because I wrote about it earlier, but how crazy would it be if the Seahawks did what nobody thought they were going to do for the second time in three years and they drafted Jonathan Taylor in the first round to bring a <laughs> running back in? I, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible because I, you know I, what? Heard- I, I wouldn't rule it out, Corbin. And because, you know, the Seahawks, they did it in the first round a few years back. And one of the things that we've seen from the Seahawks when they do pick in the first round Outside of maybe last year with LJ Collier, they usually like to find guys with, you know, just explosive type traits and and something that's extremely special about their game. And when I saw Jonathan Taylor, you know, run that sub four four forty yard dash, knowing that he's had two thousand yard seasons at a Big Ten conference school like Wisconsin, you want to see fans get pitchforks? Then <laughs> just yeah. And and here's the thing: I think Jonathan Taylor is an outstanding player. I, I really do. I think and you look at what he can do. He can catch the football. He's a dynamic runner. He's extremely intelligent. He's one of the smartest players in this draft class at any position. So, I mean, he f- checks off a lot of boxes that Seattle would be looking for. But I just wanted to throw that out there partially to just put some fuel on the fire because <laughs> fans today were just like, there's no way. I was surprised, actually, how many people on Twitter were advocating for selecting him. That was what really surprised me. But I think I just think it's a bigger need than people realize, not to the point I would draft back in the first round. I'm yeah. not advocating that approach. But – I think when you have Chris Carson coming up on free agency a year from now and he's had injury issues, Rashad Penny's coming back from an ACL tear. You don't know what he's going to look like coming back. I mean, a lot of players nowadays are able to fully recover from that, but it's still a severe injury. So I look at their situation and Schneider's always looking a year or two ahead. I could without a doubt see him being like, you know what? We're going to get, we, we fell in love with this guy. We're going to draft him right now. I could see him do that with receiver too. Jalen Rager's a player they've had a formal meeting with that I'm hearing they're very high on. If he's still there at 27, they might be like, you know what? Russell Wilson wants more superstars. Let's just get another speedy guy that can play in the slot and is a nightmare that can catch the, he can catch the ball. He can run the ball and let's put him with Metcalf and lock it. And that seems like a good pick, too. With with the running back spot, it's becoming devalued to the point, though, if you're at the end of the first round and the best running back is still on the board. It's not that strange to me that you might go ahead and take a swing at, at taking that guy if you think that he has superstar potential. Well, yeah, and I want you to think about this, too. I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but you, you look at the backs that have signed second contracts the past few years, like Ezekiel Elliott, and then uh, Le'Veon Bell obviously was going to the Jets, and he got over $10 million a year. But all those guys, all four running backs over $10 million per year last year were sitting at home in January yeah. and didn't get to play in the playoffs. And one of them had less than 380 yards rushing because David Johnson lost his job in Arizona. So, I mean, it right now I'm a, I'm a running back guy, but even I'm sitting there like I'm very hesitant to pay a running back for a second contract. And so that goes back to the Chris Carson thing. Carson's been great for the Seahawks when he's been healthy. He's played most of the games the last two years, but he's got such a lengthy injury history throughout his entire football career that I'd be really hesitant to give him a second contract. That's more than five or six million per year. And I think the market price is going to be higher than that. There might be some other teams that are willing to pay that. 
And you can get that fifth year option for a first round running back too that might end up being cheaper than if you try to reach an extension after four years. So there there is some rationale behind it. At the same time, I'm still not going to advocate for that move, although Jonathan Taylor would be a guy that fits this offense extremely well. Yeah, that's all I'm saying is Seahawks fans prepare yourselves. And for those that segment of the fan base that doesn't like taking a running back in the first round, I feel like that's the the better option between uh, signing Chris Carson long term or bringing back a guy like CJ Procise after his four year career. Th- those people, they they would rather I think I think they would rather see a running back taken in the first round than those other two options. I think so, too. I think this is one of those things. And I've always been kind of in the mid ground with the analytics. I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a running the football guy. I value running backs. I value the ground game. But at the same time, I am completely on the side of I really don't want to pay this running back that's now got four or five years under his belt, a second contract with the shelf life at that position. And there are rare occasions where you can maybe say, OK, this guy's totally worth this money. Let's do it. But you can see how quickly it backfires on you with what happened to Todd Gurley, for example. Um, Elliot had a big season, but now they're in a position where they're trying to re-sign Prescott as well as Amari Cooper, and the money's getting dried up because so much of it was put into their running back. So I'm I'm with a lot of the people out there that are saying don't give second contracts for running backs. I also think it's an important position, though. Why not get that fifth-year option? Again, not advocating the Seahawks do that this particular season, but if they did it, I would not be surprised. Well, let's talk about a couple of those other running backs while we're on the topic of the Seahawks' known visits. A.J. Dillon apparently met with the Seahawks, Zach Moss as well. And A.J. Dillon at this combine, I mean, for a six-foot guy, almost 250 pounds, to have a 41-inch vertical, a 10-foot, 11-inch broad jump, uh, I, I'm, I have to guess that uh, he's, he's added uh, his name to some people's radar. Yeah, I mentioned this on my own podcast a few days ago. Uh, I made a Breaking, uh, breaking Bad reference with this, but I think that you could look at him possibly sitting on a pile of cash right now and making snow angels with it because (laughs) he really improved his stock. He was getting a lot of fifth and sixth round buzz, which I did not understand that at all because I've watched this kid play the last three years. He's a monster. He's incredibly athletic for it. I mean, 247 pound guy should not be able to run in a straight line like he did the other day in Indianapolis with that four, five, two, 40 yard dash, and then jumping out of the building with a 41 inch vertical. I mean, that's just ridiculous for a player of his size. And he's a bruising runner, extremely difficult to bring down. He's got tree trunks for legs. So I think he has secured himself probably to be a third round pick. And I would not be shocked if a team took him late in the second round, because this is a guy that didn't catch a lot of passes at Boston college, but I actually think he's got pretty good hands. If you've watched film, he just lost in college, didn't throw the ball that much to begin with. So didn't get a lot of opportunities to catch the ball. But he's a player that certainly would fit the Seahawks. And I think a lot of fans would like that if we can just use a third round pick and we can address other issues, we can get that running back in the third round. He would make a lot of sense. And like you said, uh, he's a player that informed me he's had a visit with the Seahawks. So he is certainly on their radar. Well, and they've got those two picks right at the end of the second round as well. So uh, if if they are getting if there is some buzz about him potentially even uh, going in the early third round, then maybe they would make the move there. Zach Moss is another guy who's been talked about as a top 50 type pick. Did he hurt his stock at all uh, during the combine? 
I, I don't think so. I didn't expect that he was going to, it's, it's interesting. I was having this discussion with Mike Dugar of the athletic. We were both sitting there and, uh, AJ Dillon was coming up to the podium and I, we were just both like, Oh my gosh, that's a running back. But, uh, Zach Moss was also at the podium. He was a couple uh, areas down from where AJ Dillon was at. We couldn't be at both spots at once, but I, I was telling him, I actually anticipated Dillon was going to run better in the 40 than what Moss did. I don't think Moss has quite the same straight line speed, but he's got underrated wiggle and he runs with tenacity. So he makes a lot of sense for the Seahawks. I can see some of those parallels that are being made to Marshawn Lynch. I don't think he's the caliber of player Marshawn Lynch was, but I certainly see some parallels between those two players. So he could make sense too. Uh, I don't think he really hurt his stock running a four, six, five, I believe is what he ran the 40 in. That's Mm. a little slower than you would like, but with his style being a bruising physical back, it's not quite as big of a deal. And I thought he did okay in some of the other drills that he participated in as well. So uh, right now, if I'm the Seahawks, Dylan is on top of Moss on my list, but both guys would make sense on day two. Well, you mentioned Jalen Rager meeting with the Seahawks, another pass catcher that the Seahawks met with, the University of Washington tight end, Hunter Bryant. Yeah, those two guys would make some sense. Uh, Hunter Bryant had a pretty solid combine, maybe didn't run quite as fast as I thought he was going to in the 40, but his three-cone time, interestingly enough, the Seahawks have only drafted four tight ends in the Schneider era, and all of those players have been between 250 and 259 pounds, and they've all ran the three cone, I believe, within 0.1 of each other. So that looks like that is a very important drill for them at that position. And Hunter Bryant was in that threshold. So he fits athletically what they're wanting. He's a little lighter than that 250 pounds. I think they'd if they drafted him, it's a guy they would like to get in that 250 to 259 range. But certainly he's a guy that could make plays as a pass catcher. They believe he's got some upside as a blocker as well. He's got decent size. So there's a lot of things there that fit. And I think a lot of people don't realize how big of a need that position still is long term. I like the group they've got right now going into 2020. But Greg Olson's going to be 35 here in a few days. And Will Disley has played in just 10 games the first two seasons. Hopefully he can play at all 16 this next year. But he's had injury issues. Hollister is a restricted free agent. So drafting a tight end early, while maybe I wouldn't condone your first couple picks doing that, there are some tight ends in this draft that make a lot of sense, and Bryant's one of them. This next guy I want to talk about, I, I got to say, his performance at the Senior Bowl and just the, just the way he is, uh, Logan Stenberg out of Kentucky. You know, he doesn't have the athleticism that the Seahawks in the past have looked for on the offensive line, but he just seems like a dude who is going to get in somebody's way and and try and put them on the ground. And yeah, he might not be the uh, the most athletic or the most technically sound, but he's just a guy that gets the job done. He's just a bad dude, as they call him, Mr. Nasty at Kentucky. And he lives up to that name. He is one of my five favorite prospects that I have watched on film. That does not mean he's a top five player in this draft class, but He is one of my five favorites to watch just with the way he plays the game. He gets after it. He wants to drive people to the ground sometimes after the whistle. So that's something he admitted to me. I need to fix that a little bit. I got to be a little better in that part of my game. But um, the one there's a couple things about him that jump out to me as red flags that maybe the Seahawks won't draft him. He has shorter than 33 inch arms, Mm -hmm. which they actually have not drafted any offensive linemen that fit that. So that would be new. That being said, they have changed what they're looking for from an athletic standpoint since Solari came to town compared to Tom Cable. 
when they had Tom Cable, they were looking for dancing bears to play the two guard spots. They wanted really athletic guys. They wanted players like J.R. Sweezy, a converted defensive tackle that jumped 36 inches in the vertical and did really well for a 300-plus pound guy in a lot of the other drills. They wanted those athletes. Now you're bringing in players the last few years with Solari. You're bringing in maulers, guys like Phil Haynes. And Stenberg's not quite as big as Phil Haynes, but he's got that attitude. So I was not surprised at all when Stenberg told me that he had had a formal already with the Seahawks because he screams Seahawks at that guard position with how he plays the game, how physical he is, the mentality. I think he's a better pass protector than people realize. I I know there's some people that are saying he's probably a fourth rounder because they're looking at the athletic metrics. But if you're looking for a football player, he's one of the best guards in this class. And in that scheme, he hasn't played a lot of zone blocking, but he's got the physical tools to be able to do it. And, And his mentality, Mike Solari would love having that kid. He does seem like a guy, though, if he fell to the late third or in the fourth round somewhere, that it would definitely be a guy that the Seahawks look for. And yeah, Phil Haynes, he does have some of that athleticism, though, that they have looked for in the past. But Jamarco Jones, you know, he didn't test particularly well and the Seahawks took him in the fifth. So I wouldn't totally put the the fact that he doesn't meet some of those uh, prior athleticism uh, requirements out there that he, he won't be a member of not the Not trying Seahawks, to interrupt but, you here, but I, yeah. I did put a chart. I don't have the chart in front of me right this second, but I actually was looking at pro football reference and comparing him to some of the guards they've drafted recently mm-hmm. and, and center Ethan Posick. His numbers are very comparable, and that was even before Solari got there. So I don't think the athletic metrics, 40-yard dash, I could give a crap less about with <laughs> right. offensive linemen. I look at the 10 and 20-yard splits and, okay, that's meaningful, but – that is not near as important as some of the other some of the other stuff. And I just feel like offensive line more than any position out there. Show me the film. What's what's the guy look like on tape and end zone camera? And Logan Stenberg is a darn good football player. He's a mauler. He, he's he's nasty in there. That's where he gets his nickname from. And and I just think that orneriness in the interior, Mike Solari, it would endear him to Solari. Yeah, based on the film, he definitely seems like the type of player that the Seahawks are going to look for. Uh, going into this draft. So let's take a quick break, Corbin. We'll come back after the break and hit on more of the players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, the guys they met with on the defensive line at corner and linebacker. We'll do that coming up next. Joined by Corbin Smith of the Locked on Seahawks podcast, daily podcast for Seahawks talk. And Corbin, we've been talking about the guys that the Seahawks have met with at the Combine. You interviewed a lot of these players, got it directly from them. One of those guys on the defensive line on the interior side, Ross Blacklock. Uh, Talk about what you heard from him and, and why the Seahawks might look for a player like Blacklock. Well, first off, he played at TCU. They just drafted a TCU player in LJ Collier last year. And obviously fans, a lot of fans right now are upset with what they've gotten from him, which I think it's a little ridiculous to just use one season to call a player a bust. But it goes back to TCU's program. I actually asked Blacklock about this. What is it that makes it that players, so many defensive players from TCU come in and they're ready to play in the NFL and they succeed in the NFL And he was talking about how complex the defense is. And he's played multiple spots. He's played nose, uh, the zero tech. He's played three tech alignment, which is his preferred spot. He's played defensive end. So those players come into the league. LJ Collier had played reduced inside some with the Horned Frogs as well. Those players come in playing in that defense that's much more complex than most of the defenses in college football these days. 
and they're well coached. They understand terminology. They can play multiple spots. And you can see that in Blacklock's game. I think by running a sub five second 40 yard dash that he is a strong contender to be picked at the end of the first round. I think he's one of the better defensive tackles in this class. He can get after the quarterback as a pass rusher. He can take on double teams as a run defender. And I really like the prospect. He would make a lot of sense for Seattle, especially if they lose Jaron Reed at that three-tech position. That's really where he's at his best. And he's athletic enough, has enough quick twitch that he can be really disruptive getting in the backfield. And I really think when you look at his counter moves, they haven't developed that much up to this point. You get some good coaching from Clint Hurd up there with him, and he becomes better with his hands. This is a guy that could be a six or seven sack caliber player in the interior. Well, much like you talked about arm length being important on the offensive side of the ball, it's also important for them on the defensive side of the ball. And Blacklock doesn't quite have that length, though, that they've traditionally looked for him having the sub 33 inch arms. Yep, that's very true. And and I've noticed there, there are several prospects in this draft class that the Seahawks are showing interest in that that don't necessarily hit that metric. But like I said with this kid, I, I think he checks off every other box, though, and he's just slightly below that 33-inch threshold with arms. So can you make up the difference there? Absolutely. So I think that it's not that's not necessarily a position where the Seahawks would just be like, nope, no way. You're one-eighth of an inch too short on arms. We're not even going to consider you. I think that with everything else he brings to the table – he would certainly be a player that the Seahawks have a lot of interest in. And there's some other defensive tackles they've got interest in as well that do fit that arm length uh, angle. So they've got some options they're going to be looking at. Well, another guy who comes up just short in terms of arm length, but a guy who had an outstanding senior bowl that a uh, reason why they went with LJ Collier last year, they liked him at the senior bowl and Bradley and I was a guy that they met with. And uh, is he a player? Do you think that they're interested in him as a defensive end or do you think they see him more as a Sam linebacker? I think you've got to put him at defensive end with four, three scheme in Seattle. I don't think that he's good enough back in coverage to play that Sam linebacker spot. And I actually would be more concerned with arm length, looking at what he does well compared to Blacklock. Mm. I think I actually think Blacklock's got a better first step getting into the gap. And I love the tenacity that Anai plays with. And he's he's a very technically sound player. He knows how to get off blocks and stuff. But I do think the arm length at his position coming off the edge might be a little bit bigger of a deal than it would be for Blacklock. That being said, again, a guy that checks off a number of boxes. He's experienced. The Seahawks love players coming from Utah. Utah and TCU seem to be two of the <laughs> bedrock programs defensively. The Seahawks love to pick players from those programs. So that being said, uh, with that familiarity, playing a system that's somewhat similar to Seattle, a similar culture, as and I told me personally this week, I could see it making a lot of sense. I don't know if I'd want to pick him before that second, second round pick. And that would be at the earliest, just because I, I do have some concerns watching film that that arm length could be more problematic for him. Yeah. One guy who is not lacking in arm length, though, is Yeter Gross Matos from Penn State. And uh, he there's a program where the Seahawks haven't traditionally gone. I'm, I'm trying to I'm racking my brain for a Penn State guy. And, and Jordan uh, Hill is the last guy go. that I can remember them picking for gross mottos. That's one of those guys, though, that you kind of look at as being, you know, a lot of people projecting him at that uh, end of the first round could fall to the Seahawks right where they're going to be picking at the end of the first round. That would be the perfect scenario for the Seahawks. If Gross Matos is still available at 27, I, I'm still not sold that's going to happen. I think when you look at the fact that this is a pretty young kid that is your prototypical 
defensive end that I think has enough athleticism to play on either side in Seattle system. I think he can play Leo. I think he can play the base uh, five tech defensive end position with the length he's got uh, perfect frame around 265 pounds at six foot four. And this is a guy, if you watch his film, I think there's a lot of untapped potential still as a pass rusher. And he's been pretty good against the run more. He's almost 40 tackles for loss in his career at Penn state. And he's racked up a bunch of sacks, but again, it feels like he's still got some work to refine his technique. As far as counter moves go, he threw one of the nastiest. This is when I fell in love with this prospect. I was watching several games for Penn state, but I believe it was against Iowa, which if you've looked at the draft board, Iowa's had some pretty darn good offensive linemen. They got a tackle by the name of Tristan Wirfs that's probably going to be a top 10 pick in this year's draft Mm -hmm. after what he just did at the Combine. And this was two years ago. Gross Matos used a Reggie White hump move and just obliterated the tackle and then got the sack. And that was just kind of the whoa moment. Like, if this kid gets with the right line coach— and he puts on just a little more muscle, gets in that 270 range with the length he plays with, the athleticism he's got. This kid has all pro potential, and he truly does. That being said, I think because of the rawness of his game, that's probably the big reason right now that there's discussion of him falling into the 20s and being potentially available for them. And there's just a number of other positions that are so deep in this draft as well. Yeah, another guy who could be falling into the 20s and uh, potentially there as well. Julian Aquara of Notre Dame reportedly met with the Seahawks. And, and you talk about how Gross Matos went up against NFL talent. I mean, Aquara, uh, he practiced uh, against Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson and uh, and so and also uh, up against Mackay Becton and Andrew Thomas this past year. Yeah, that was one of my favorite responses I got from any of the prospects. You can tell he's a Notre Dame guy, uh, very well-spoken. He he was very in-depth with some of his responses. But I was asking him about the best matchup that he has had playing at the college level, and he immediately said it wasn't in the game. It was at practice. And you think about it, Mike McGlinchey just played and started in the Super Bowl for the 49ers at right tackle. He's in his second, going to be in his third year out of Notre Dame. So Aquara had to go up against him every day at practice. Quentin Nelson is arguably the best guard in football already. Two years in, he is phenomenal. The Colts, I don't know what they'd look like without having him up there. Totally changed their offensive line. But he had to go against both those guys at practice. And then you mentioned uh, Mekhi Becton as well as Andrew Thomas. Both those players, I think Becton's maybe a top 10 pick now. Thomas, there's discussion top 15. I, I just rattled off like three tackles that could be top 15 picks. Right there is all you need to know. This is a loaded tackle group, and that's another reason a player like Gross Matos could slip a little bit because teams are desperate for offensive line help, and this is a class that has the talent to to be able to take care of that issue in the first round. Well, Zach Bond was another guy that the Seahawks met with and another guy that we saw at the Senior Bowl. He was rushing the quarterback along with Bradley and I, so... I do wonder if uh, Bond, do you see him as an edge type guy or or do you see him as a linebacker prospect for the Seahawks? Both. So (laughs) here's my mindset with Bond. After having a chance to talk with him, I asked a few questions, presser, and also talked to him for a, a little bit afterward. But I look at what he does on film and he is that positionless player that I believe every defense in the NFL right now is looking for in terms of the fact that he can just do so many different things well. He's 238 pounds, so I don't see him being an every down edge. He doesn't have quite enough size to do that, but he's bigger than somebody like Shaquem Griffin, 
And he's a guy that plays with an incredible motor, great burst off the edge, and he's just nasty. He's a mean player. You can see him with the way that he gets after people. He's he's a really nice guy, but on the field, you can see that mean streak. He, he, he'll lay people out. When he gets to the quarterback, he'll smack people. And so I look at him as a guy that you could bring in with a first-round pick. I think he's a first-round caliber player. You can bring him in, and he can rush off the edge as the as the Leo defensive end. You can use him there quite a bit. And he is a really good coverage linebacker. So if you thought Bruce Irvin was really good in that Sam spot, why not put this kid over there that can rush off the edge? You could have a linebacking core after 2020. K.J. Wright, they could move on from him. You could have Cody Barton move into the will, which is his best spot. Bobby Wagner's still in the middle. And then at the other spot, you can have uh, Zach Bond playing that Sam position. And you can still move him to the Leo and pass rushing situations, too. And you don't have to worry about subbing people out. It gives you so much flexibility, especially in a division where you're playing a team that runs a lot of no huddle like the Arizona Cardinals. That's huge. Well, moving on to the secondary and you had an interesting interaction with John Schneider at the combine. You know, he mentioned that he wasn't satisfied with the performance of the secondary. And so I wonder, you know, when the, with them meeting with guys like Trevon Diggs, with Bryce Hall, they also met with Christian Fulton, who who lacks that traditional arm length that the Seahawks tend to look for a cornerback. But, you know, I look at, at guys like Trayvon Diggs and, and Bryce Hall, who do have that prototypical Seahawks size. And I'm starting to wonder, with so many other NFL teams starting to covet the type of length that the Seahawks have been looking for in the past, you know, they haven't gone and drafted anybody in the first and second round at corner yet. But if they're unhappy with the position and knowing that other teams are starting to go with what they're looking for, could this be the time that they actually go for somebody in the first or early second? I would be really surprised if they used a first rounder. Trayvon Diggs, if that's one of their top guys on their board, maybe they buck trends. But, you know, they already have bucked trends of that position a few years ago. They normally were living in the fifth and sixth round getting corners and they picked Shaquille Griffin in the third. So I don't think it's out of the question in the second round with two picks there that they could draft somebody like a Bryce Hall, who I think fits their system extremely well. He's not the best press cover corner in this draft class. I think he's a guy that could be coached up in that regard though. And the ball skills, he had over 20 pass deflections two years ago for Virginia. He knows how to get his hands on the ball for interceptions, too. And the Seahawks could use that. Interestingly enough, Trey Flowers was the far superior corner as far as getting his hands on the ball last year. Three interceptions tied for team lead. And he improved up upon his uh, pass deflections from his rookie season as well. The big issue was just how he played in the playoffs. I think if you took the playoffs out, I thought in the regular season, you could make an argument at least for the middle of the year Flowers might have been the better corner of the two. His passer rating against him was lower than Shaquille Griffin, and uh, the completion percentages were very similar, and he had those three interceptions. Uh, but in the playoffs, again, got exposed by quicker receivers, had some mishaps in coverage, the pass interference penalties that he didn't need to make, panicking out there. You can expect that from a young corner that's still very new to the position. But uh, my my takeaway from speaking with Schneider and Pete Carroll that I still think they're very optimistic about what Flowers can do out there. But at the same time, the clock is ticking there. So maybe you do go and pick somebody early rounds that can push Trey Flowers and come in and maybe take his job right away. And that's a win for the Seahawks either way. If they bring somebody in the second round and Trey Flowers elevates his game, then that's great news. You've still got two years under contract with him. 
And maybe you can wean along the other guy to, to compete against him further going into 2021 when Flowers just has one year left in his deal. And if Flowers gets beat out, then you know what? You just addressed a major issue. Now you've upgraded the corner position with a guy that's under contract for four seasons. So I could see the second round that happening. I would still probably hedge bets if they're going to draft a corner. It's probably going to be a little bit later than that just because that's how they've operated and some of the other needs they've got. But then again, uh, this could be the year they buck trends a little bit just because of how much Flowers struggled in those two playoff games. Corbin, before you go, one last question. It was your first time attending the scouting combine. What was your favorite moment? Oh, boy. Oh, man, that's that's a tough one because there were so many great interviews there. Um, I, I would I mean, I'm going to be honest. If we're looking at the interviews and stuff. I, I probably my favorite moment was talking with Zach Bond, and it was about him adjusting from the quarterback position, because this is what's crazy about him. He didn't play any defense in high school. He was a triple option quarterback running spread. And like he told me, he's like calling me a quarterback. And, you know, that might not be the best distinction because he was running the ball uh-huh. most of the time. But he went to Wisconsin and they adjusted him to defense and just him breaking down that move. You could just really see the high football IQ that this kid brings to the table. And, and that's probably the thing I enjoyed most about this. This group of players, I talked about this class surprising me how good it is. I was surprised at just as a whole how high the football IQs were for these these players across the board at each position group. And I talked to some other reporters that have covered the combine for a long time, and they I had several of them say, yeah, this in terms of intelligence, this is the most intelligent class that I've covered. And I talked to several other reporters that echoed that. So it was just really cool being able to speak with those players and get some perspective. A lot of them opened up about the defenses they play in. I'm an X's nose junkie, so I, I was eating all that stuff up. And of course, it matters when you're looking at scheme fits for the Seahawks specifically. And you can quickly identify why they already had formal meetings with some of these players because the systems they come from, the football IQ, the athleticism that we've seen now, you can see where they really fit into the fold and why they might be players that the Seahawks are looking at. Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. Corbin, what do you got coming up this week on the show? Oh, man, we're going to be talking a bunch about uh, fast risers in the combine here on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, going to be looking at offensive players on Monday and then Tuesday, defensive guys, maybe players that you hadn't heard of that had good combine performances that elevated their stock a little bit. We'll look at some of that and of course, going to be really heating things up for free agency. Is Jadevian Clowney going to be back? None of us know what the answer is to that one. And Jaron Reed and a few other players as well. So things are going to be heating up. We're moving away from draft talk a little bit by the end of the week into free agency. We only really have three weeks until yeah. players are going to be signing with teams. So the madness will soon commence. <laughs> We're going to be looking forward to it, Corbin. Appreciate you coming on and breaking it down. Uh, glad to get some insight from someone who was there on the ground of the combine. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Brendan. Appreciate it. A big thanks to Corbin Smith once again. Coming up this week, we'll be talking more draft. Alistair Corp, planning on having him back on the show here later this week. Also, I'll be looking for more prospects that the Seahawks could be interested in and talking about them later this week. You're going to want to stay tuned. Subscribe to the show, sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. If you want to help support the show, you can go to glow.fm forward slash flock stay tuned much more to come until then go hawks